to the Burn the Boats podcast, where we interview people pursuing their passion in the moment of full commitment. Here's your host, Matt Sodnikar. Hey, welcome to the Burn the Boats podcast. I am your host, Matt Sodnikar, and this is talking about points of no return and pushing through very difficult challenges and struggles in business life, personal life. And I'm excited to have a very special guest. It is Vinny Tortorich from Hollywood. He is the author of Fitness Confidential, No Sugar, No Grains Diet, also Pure Vitamin Club, found out wrote a children's book. And in addition to being, without a doubt, the most famous person I know, he's also one of the most down-to-earth and nicest people I've ever met. And as evidenced by him taking the time to talk on our little podcast here. So with that, I want to say welcome to Vinny. It's great to talk to you again, my friend. Hey, Matt. It's great chatting with you. Thanks for having me on. And I'm excited that you have a new podcast going on here. So uh, kudos to you because uh, it is not easy uh, to get these things up and running. Yeah. Well, I get paid to talk to people and I actually get paid to talk to people when they buy something. So I'd like to turn this into something where I get paid just for talking to people. But uh, you were definitely one of the inspirations behind starting this and figuring out the technology. And when I looked around, I just had a lot of interesting people in my life that had some really cool stories that I just wanted to explore, you know, beyond having a beer or a cup of coffee with somebody and just dive into it. So that's, that was kind of the origin of all this. You know, it seems a little hard to believe uh, that I was the inspiration because, uh, you know, I'm a guy that still today, I have trouble figuring out how to turn on the computer, you know, and for you to, for you to say you were my inspiration for doing this is like, God, you need to set your sights a bit higher, which is not good for you. Starting off at a deficit. (laughs) Shoot higher, my man. Come on. All right. Well, yeah, we have that uh, common connection with Corolla, right? Like maybe that was like seeing that rolling. So, all right, I'll I'll try to grow up and maybe we'll both grow up and be on the level with Adam someday. Yeah, you know, people always say, man, you've really turned this this com- this computer is this podcast into a success and i always remind them i only have one sports car adam has a whole warehouse full of them so <laughs> i you know i as i tell adam i just walk around your your uh <laughs> warehouse and i count i go okay he's got 15 in here and i have one so i'm one fifteenth uh, of what he <laughs> got it. <laughs> well, and the reason I wanted to have you on is that I, I read your book. I've listened to the book and you faced a lot of challenges, uh, leukemia and you know, personal struggles. You know, like when we talked about at Starbucks in California a couple months ago, you know, both you and I had kind of come up on, you know, mid forties and just, had no idea what was going on in our lives. And um, if the listeners haven't read this book, it is incredibly entertaining. Even if you're not into cycling or fitness, which you should be because it makes your life so much better. 
the story is entertaining and it is a very inspiring and well done read. And my question for you, Vinny, is that I talk to people and ask them about you know, turning points in their life and overcoming obstacles. And it seemed throughout the book that it came maybe natural to you. Was that a skill that you had to work on, have that mindset that like, I am just going to knock this down and persevere or was it something you had to uh, develop? Um, well, uh, everyone's got to develop that muscle. You know, I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone's, uh, you know, born with that, so to speak. Um, but you know, now that being said, uh, you know, I was, I was always fighting an uphill battle. Um, none of it was, uh, impossible in life. Uh, and I never used the woe is me version of, any of it, you know, I, I had some, some difficulties as a kid, you know, some physical problems. Um, I had a, I had a hearing problem that was corrected at some point, you know, I still don't have a hundred percent hearing, but I, I hear well enough, but that caused a speech impediment, you know, when I was a kid. So, you know, you know, learning how, you know, you know, you get goofed on, you know, nowadays, if you get goofed on at school, you know, all the other kids are considered bullies and this sort of thing. But back in my day, bullying was allowed. You know, the teachers would actually bully a little bit because I had such a speech impediment. My dad so had that you can't in get Catholic the school in side, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you explain that to people today and they think you're making it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But, uh, the, you know, and we like to think the nuns are like, you know, Gidget, you know, like the flying nun, uh, you know. But that's not who they are. They're, they're not those people. Um, they, they, they were mean as far as, you know, if people ask me about nuns, they were mean. They were not nice people. And these are supposed to be the daughters of Jesus or God or something. Right. And I wrote about that in Fitness Confidential a little bit. And so I don't think, you know, I, I now appreciate everything that happened to me you know, when I was younger, and that gave me a tough skin because otherwise I, I wouldn't have survived anything in life. And, and now I'm going to go off on a tangent because okay. now you got me thinking here. Um, you know, um, you know I, I sit around and think about it and go, what's going to happen to this generation that we're, we're doing all this, this molly coddling to, you know? Um, these kids are not made to ever be teased or told that they have any affliction or anything else. We're supposed to think that everyone's special and wonderful. And, and, you know, I don't believe in, I don't believe in bullying because I didn't like being bullied, but you know, the fact that we tell every kid they're great. I mean, I remember watching my nephews grow up and, you know, every time they took a dump, you know, someone was out there going, well, we need to bronze this dump. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, this one has to go up on the shelf next to the other bronze dump. You know, and then they got out of college and they they had a rough go. You know, they they got out of college and went, well, wait, no one's commenting on every dump I take anymore. Why is that? You know, so you know that that's a real problem today. And I I look at all of you know what I went through as is what made me a stronger guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? 
It does. And on the, not the flip side of that, but you know, I know you talk about being the angriest trainer and all that, but in my limited conversations with you, one thing I never got was that you were cynical or angry about anything. You're just the most low key relaxed person. And it doesn't seem like even with all that, that has gone on in your past, that you've got an ax to grind. Like you've been able to let that go. Yeah. You know, look, I mean, there are people out in the world with real problems, you know, um, even when I was young, you know, when I thought I was having a rough day, you know, and, and it, you know, I would, I would, you know, get teased at school, get teased on the bus on the way to school, get teased when I got home. And, and, and it's like, man, what a horrible day. And then I would turn on the television, they would show, you know, the bombings of Beirut. Mm-hmm. And I would go, oh, yeah, but I, I didn't have a bad day. Can you imagine being one of those kids? See a kid walking on the street with one leg, you know, just just dragging himself, you know, after a bomb blew a leg off. And you go, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, I, what a great life I'm having, you know. So I, I never sit around and go, woe was me. Because no, no matter how bad we think we have it, look around. I mean, we didn't, not one of us. I know I didn't, and I don't think you did. I didn't go through the Holocaust. You know, nope. I didn't go through anything. And I, you know, I, I didn't go to Vietnam. I didn't go to Korea. You know, I'd go today because they look like wonderful places, but I'm not going out with an AR-15 and being dropped from a helicopter when I'm 19. <laughs> yeah, so I look at, at those kind of things and go, ah, it's all right. So I got teased a bit as a kid. I don't have a problem now, you know? Yeah. I, I went to a high school reunion a couple of years ago, and there, you know, some people are, you know, they, and not just at the reunion. I see this all the time with people. They're just sort of stuck. They've stopped at some certain point in their existence and don't move forward and don't challenge themselves or try to get better. And, and I'm, and I'm saying that knowing how hard it is to change a mindset because I've been stuck and, and sad and depressed and feeling like the world's coming to an end. And I, I say that to anybody that's listening with all due respect, knowing how hard it is, but you got to move on. You got to, got to make things better for yourself. Life is way too short. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right about that. And I remember thinking that at high school reunions or like, I, you know, I went back to my hometown. Uh, I guess I was maybe, 10 years out of high school. So I was still in my twenties. I was like 28, 29. And I was, I, it was right before I moved to LA. I was still living in New Orleans. And uh, I went back home and I was sitting in a local diner and a, a cop walked in. And uh, when my eyes focused on the guy, turned out this guy, Glenn, that was in my class. And uh, he came over and he sat down and, you know, he's gaining some weight. He was a cop like you know any local small town that you know you see the guy goes back home and he runs into his old buddy and you're talking and you know i, I said so glenn how's you how's life going man he goes yeah i'm working as a cop yeah all right uh, uh hey you married Susie from the class right oh yeah yeah you guys still married oh yeah i got two kids and the whole thing and i'm sitting there going what a successful life this guy's having. He, he's duly employed. He's married to his high school sweetheart. He's got two kids. 
And I, I'm sitting there going, I'm such a loser, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, what's going on with you? I'm going, well, I'm living in New Orleans. I'm not married or anything. And, you know, I, I got this business going on. It does pretty well. I kind of work for myself. And I kind of felt like a loser, but I was actually doing pretty well. But I, I felt like I wasn't doing as well as Glenn, you know? And, and I remember sitting there going, oh, this isn't turning out well for me. Sorry, my, my dog is barking here. Let's see if I can get her <laughs> to okay. quiet down. <laughs> Well, welcome to podcasting, folks. <laughs> this, this is how the big league happened right here. Two we, episodes we ago, my friends, their dog was having dinner at our feet while we were recording. It was awesome. The dog was chomping kibble. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they, the dogs are something else. So anyway, uh, so, you know, I buy Glenn a hamburger and we're sitting there talking and the whole thing. At some point, he said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, how did you know? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, how, how did you know? I said, no, no what? You know, I, I didn't know what he was getting at. He goes, man, you're living the life. You're living in New Orleans, uptown New Orleans. You know, you got hot and cold running women. I don't know where he got that part from, but I, I think that was just in his head because I wasn't married. And you got a successful small business down there. You're doing well. And at the time, I had a, I was driving a '65 Corvette convertible. And he goes, nice. "Look at that damn car outside, Jesus Christ!" I mean, what? I mean, look at you. And he's looking at me, going, "And I went, yeah, but look at you. You know, we're like looking at each other." And he was basically saying, "Look, I love my wife, I love my kids, but I, I sold I, I sold myself short. He never saw the world." He told me he had never been on a vacation. He had never left Louisiana since high school. Um, you know, he, he's just raising kids and paying bills. And he, he was depressed. And he didn't know what he was going to do with his life. And, you know, he, he wanted to cheat on his wife. He's telling me all this stuff, right? I'm like sitting there going, wow. Wow. I'm sitting here thinking this guy's got it, right? He's got the world by the balls. And it turns out he had nothing in his eyes. And still today, I, I think he's still married to his wife. I'm sure he came around something at some point. Matter of fact, you're going to cause me to go look him up on, on uh, <laughs> Facebook later on. But you know what I mean? It's like we always think the other guy has it figured out. And, and maybe not so much. And I don't know how I got onto that, but you said something to get me onto that. But isn't it funny, though, how – well, two quick things about that. What he's looking for is not on the outside. He's got to figure out who he is on the inside. But when you were talking about, like, Beirut and you look at somebody who's less fortunate, that you know, it puts your life into perspective in a more positive sense. But what he was doing, because I think he wasn't happy with who he was, he was looking up to you – or like on Facebook and people only post like the good photos on vacation or the new car or whatever. And if you're looking up the stack, trying to get context or something like that, it's real easy to just make yourself feel miserable. And it's, you have to balance one and the other and you just can't, nothing's going to hold up to comparison, right? Like you can take anything in the world and if you start tearing it down going, well, it's not this, it's not this, nothing stands up to negative scrutiny. And I'm not saying you got to be naive and, 
and a Pollyanna or whatever, but you just, just got to be realistic about where you're at and what your life is. You know, I, I think you're right, Matt. You know, I, I used to say, I wish life was like a beer commercial, you know, they're all jumping out of, you know, convertible Mustangs and running onto the beach with hot chicks with the, the big cooler. And we're playing a volleyball game and, you know, everything is great. And the chicks are in these bikinis and they're all perfect. You know, you look at a beer commercial and, and then Facebook is now the new beer commercial because mm-hmm. now, you know, you, you turn on Facebook. I'll see my, my cousins, you know, people that I actually know and talk to sometimes. You know, Facebook, they're always talking about how great life is. Hey, look, we're at a casino having a great time. And everyone's all smiles and everything. And, and then I'll talk to them and I'll go, yeah, I'm $40,000 in debt. I, you know, I got kids in school. I, I don't oh, know what the hell I'm going to do. And, you know, you sit there, and you, and, but, but boy, online, it looks like they're living the life, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I don't do that online. You know, I, I've only ever used my Facebook to promote my product, which is my book and my website, and, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see any reason every time Serena and I have sex that I need to mention it to a group of people on Facebook. You know? <laughs> well, in, in Facebook is, is marketing essentially. Right. And I'm in sales, I'm in marketing and marketing is all about creating desire and creating sort of a, a negative emotion inside you that, Oh, you need a new car or you need to go to Vegas because you're, you're doing that. And it's, it's a tough mental diet to be on seeing all that stuff that you don't have and you think you want. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's a thing I've always said in life you know, that, that, you know, I've, there's been times when I've had a significant amount of money and there's been times when I was completely broke, you know? And, uh, whenever I think back on my life and I, I'll, you'll go, I'll say, man, I remember I used to go hang out, you know, on the strand in Santa Monica with these people. And we always had a great time and we'd ride our bikes every day for miles on end. And then I would think back and I go, huh, I had no money back then, but th- those are the times you think back on, you know, I've, I've always had the best times are the times when you have no money, you know, when you're just kind of going through, you know, it's kind of like that show, um, uh, friends, you know, always stuck in second gear, you know, like the song says, right. You know, they're, they're trying to make it in life. And, and when you think about it, you know, it's basically life happening while you're waiting for life to happen, you know, and, I don't think people look at that enough. Well, I remember when my mom got sick back in uh, 1990, it really put the money issue into very stark perspective for me because by the time we had found out what was going on with her cancer, we could have had the federal reserve bank balance and it wouldn't have helped. There was nothing that could have happened. Yeah. And at 20 years old, it was a, a hard, excuse me, a hard lesson, but also made me realize that there's things have proper places and money has to have its proper place. And I, I've been where you're at, dude. I've been broke. I've been bankrupt. I've been a single dad with two kids and 
having a college education and been on food stamps, not my proudest moment, but taught me how to hustle and taught me how to be resilient and, and really gave me a lot of empathy for other humans on the face of the earth that everybody is probably struggling with something. Yeah. Nobody gets out alive, you know, so to speak. And, and, you know, you know, we all take bumps and bruises, you know, when you think about it, you buy a car, car is brand new. And then you look at it a year later and you go, ah, it still looks pretty good. But if you get up close, you'll see a couple of door dings and a little scuff on the bumper. Maybe you open the door into a curb, you know, uh, you know, and so it, there's a patina to it. And it's almost like it's not new anymore, but it's, it's your car. You know, you start to like all those scratches on it, so to speak. Yeah. You go into a park and you go, wait, this is, oh yeah, that's mine because it's got a scratch on it right there. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. And that's the way life is. You know, we, we take the bumps and the bruises and, and they become part of, of who we are. Exactly. And I thought, we talked about this when we had coffee before, that I thought at 21, I lost my mom. I had my ticket punched by the universe. And I thought, okay, I get a free pass. And that expectation had really set me up for, I think, some... <laughs> big surprises down the road that I was not equipped to handle because I, you know, even as an adult, like 28, 30 years old, I didn't have the skills. I, I hadn't been tested like you had as, as a, as a child. I, I wouldn't say I had a easy upbringing, but it was, it was pretty good. It was middle-class and, you know, dad and mom were good providers, but I was never challenged by anything. And you talk about exercising that, that muscle of resiliency or, overcoming obstacles. I didn't, I didn't know what I had in me. And had I not gone through some of those challenges, I guarantee you that you and I would not be sitting here talking this way. I wouldn't have had any belief in myself or any skills because I hadn't been tested. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. And uh, I'm glad that you, you know, I'm sorry you lost your mom so young. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, when, when you, you get scuffed up a bit, uh, you just come back stronger and stronger. It's, it's, it's what makes the man when you think about it. I agree. I agree. And you talked about that muscle, Vinny. Is that something that you consciously work on or has it been so ingrained now that it's just a habit? And what are some of those habits that perhaps you could suggest to people if they're looking to improve their resiliency or their, their struggle muscle or their, their struggle power. What are things you found effective? Um, wow. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a guy last night. I, I, the guy's name is uh, Kerry Guglielmo. I know that sounds like a weird name. Um, but a guy called me from Baton Rouge and uh, I called him right back. I was in the middle of a, of a business call. And Kerry had an uncle. Uh, and the guy's name was Joe Dean. And Joe Dean, I mentioned him in my book, Fitness Confidential. And I talk about Joe Dean on my podcast all the time. And when the guy passed away a few years ago, uh, I got a call on a Sunday morning that Joe had passed. And uh, I didn't even... I didn't even flinch. I just called American Airlines and got the next flight out to Louisiana to go to this funeral. Um, 
to describe this guy. Uh, he was a guy, a poor guy from Indiana. He got a basketball scholarship to LSU in the 1950s. He played on the Olympic basketball team um, back in the 50s at some point. And then he went on to become a salesman for Converse tennis shoes, working up the ranks of Converse to, to where he was one of the top execs. He was the first guy to, to hook an, a player to a shoe. Really? Right. So he got, uh, yeah, Dr. J, Julius Irving. He came up with the Dr. J's. Now, there was a Chuck Taylor's before that. And there was a John Wooden shoe and all that. The beta company had the John Wooden beta. But he was the first time when he said, let's take a shoe. Let's, let's make a, basically a Chuck Taylor, make it leather. Let's hook Dr. J to it. And let's do big time advertising. That was his brainchild. He did the same thing with Larry Bird. He did the same thing with, um, with uh, uh, Magic Johnson. All of them. Uh, as a matter of fact, his biggest lament in life was when he went after Michael Jordan to bring him the Converse. Michael said, "Yeah, I will never be a Larry Bird or a Magic Johnson. Why would you even want me? And, and Nike is willing to give me a big contract. And Joe said, you know what? I can't tell you not to go there. You know, I would tell you to go there. And that's all Joe Dean. I mean, that guy had that kind of cachet. Uh, and the guy also, he didn't just talk to the Michael Jordans of the world. The guy talked to me. Um, and as a young kid, he talked to me and he, he took interest in me. Uh, he had a basketball camp that I used to go to as a kid. And the guy was very, very motivational. And, um, I didn't just listen to him when I was at the basketball camp. I went every year from the time I was like 12 until I graduated high school. Oh, wow. Even though, as Joe put it, Joe often said, I was probably the worst basketball player he had ever met. <laughs> um, yet I made, I made my squad every year. I was uh, the sixth man. And uh, I, I played, I, I made it onto the court in every game because I was great at defense. And you need a guy. You need a guy who can do assist and, and play defense. And I was that guy. Um, but it also made me a, a really good football player, which is where I got a, a football scholarship. Uh, Joe uh, left Converse at some point. You know, cashed out, became a millionaire, could have sat back the rest of his life. But he went back to his alma mater, LSU, and, and became the athletic director. And did a lot of things that was considered um, not popular. But his idea was to make LSU a football power. And that's exactly what he did. You know, what you see today is what he started back in the 80s. You know? Um, and the guy was, he was a mentor to me all the way up. And he would always say things to me. And I wrote a couple of those things in my book, Fitness Confidential. He would say things like, take the garbage out. That was our code word, just take the garbage out. Now, to tell your audience what that means, when I was very young, Joe said to me one day, he said, um, have you ever opened the cabinet at your house and noticed that the garbage can was full, but you tried to teeter a Coke can on top of the pile of garbage, close the cabinet very slowly, 
and make it someone else's problem. Right. And I said, yes, sir, Mr. Dean, I've, I've done that quite often. He said, but if your mom was there, you would have, she would have looked at you, you would have looked at her and you would have taken the garbage right out. I said, absolutely. He said, well, in life, do things when people aren't looking. Pretend people are always looking. So the next time you open that cabinet and that garbage can is full, take it out. Take the initiative. Don't wait to be told by your parents. Take it out. And I've been taking the garbage out for 50 years. You know, well, let's call it 45 because I've been known for the first few years of my life. But, you know, I do that. I, I don't just symbolically take my own garbage out at the house, which I do. Um, but it reminds me to take the garbage out in every other situation. Do things as if people are watching you all the time. Do things as if you're on stage. Right. And uh, it's the best lesson I could give anyone. You know, be on your best behavior even when you're alone. It's a hard thing to do when you're alone, that's for sure, because there's always another cookie or another beer or, you know, looking at Facebook. But it's, yeah. I mean, are you hitting about discipline a little bit, Vinny? Are you, is that kind of where this is going and just kind of having um, like an operating system for your life? Is that, is that making it too formal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I think I, I don't have a particular operating system, but I, I look around, I'm, I'm always, I'm always self-monitoring and it, it, it's such a, it's such a muscle that's flexed so often that I don't have to think about it. It's uh, a give habit, you an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's been a habit. Joe put that in the, you know, he, he, he installed that button. And by the way, my parents are self-starters, you know, and this kind of, you know, my, my parents were school teachers, but they, they came from poor families and the whole thing, Italians that came here from overseas and, you know, they, you know, my whole family is like by the bootstrap type, you know, thing. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, some examples maybe of, um, of how this works in my life. Um, um, I, I, I'm trying to think of, of any good examples of, okay, here's one. It's a bit of a story, but. It's a podcast and people like stories. Yes. I, I had a, um, before I had an iPhone, I had a Blackberry. <clears throat> and um, I had gotten this Blackberry because it was like the next step up or something from a flip phone back in the day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I had the Blackberry for a couple of months and um, a friend of mine always seemed to be on her Blackberry, my friend Jill. I said, Joe, you got a lot of business going on. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, you're always into that BlackBerry. You're always texting something. That's when texting kind of became a thing, you know, with the BlackBerry. Had the little little touchpad on it or whatever, you know. And she goes, no, I'm playing a game. I said, how's that work? She goes, there's games you get. They're in your BlackBerry. You can play a game. And she showed me a game called Brick Breaker. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with this? Are you familiar with the Blackberry or something yep. like that? Yep. <laughs> All right. 
So she showed me Brick Breaker, and she goes, uh, "Here, here, let me show you how to play." So she she pulled it up on her phone, and um, I I did it, and I did it for a couple of minutes, and then I failed. Right, so now I, I did it until it said the game is over. You know, I lost whatever. I can't remember exactly how it worked. And she goes, "Oh, you got, you know, nine hundred points." And I said, "Is that good?" She goes, "Well, you know, I my best game is like eighteen thousand points." So I said, <laughs> "Oh, that's that's not even that good." And she goes, "Well, you get used to it. Before you know it, you'll be up to whatever and whatever and whatever, whatever, you know, big time numbers." So she loaded it up in my phone. And a couple hours later, I was waiting for a client, and I pulled out my phone, and I started doing the brick breaker, right? And uh, I went, oh, geez, I just beat my my nine hundred. Now, next thing I know, the next day, I'm sitting on the toilet, and I'm <laughs> I'm done taking a dump, and I'm trying to hit twenty five hundred on brick breaker, right? And this goes on for a couple of weeks. And I'm not liking my behavior. I'm not right. liking who I'm becoming. Whenever, you know, I wasn't like missing any work or anything. I was just playing this brick breaker. And I was like, man, this is such a time suck. And it doesn't mean anything. My life won't be changed by this. Right? So, um, at the time, um, yeah, I wasn't making a lot of money because, you know, we were on writer's strike here in LA and the, you know, the, you know, a lot of actors weren't working out and the whole thing. So I had more time on my hands and I said, you know, I'm using this thing to occupy my mind. I'm using this device. And, um, I looked at pornography at that point a few times on my computer and don't get me wrong. I like porn like the next guy. Right. <laughs> but I went, man, this is too easy. This is becoming too easy. I have a little time on my hands here because of the writer strike. And I'm going from porn to, to this. I was becoming within two weeks. I was becoming as I quote that guy. Yeah. Right. So I said, okay, this has to stop. All of it has to stop. So I put a moratorium on looking at porn, even though, by the way, I wasn't actually addicted to porn or anything. But if I looked at it three times that week, that was three times more than I'd ever looked at porn on the internet in my life. Sure. You know, for anyone who thinks, you know, that they're not going to do it, once you start doing it, you start doing it. Right. And, and I, I said to myself, okay, I've stopped doing this, but I proved something to myself in that negative. I saw a positive and that's what Joe Dean was really good with when I was a kid. I said, you know, I have a lot of time to look at porn and play brick breaker. I wonder if I can use that time to make money on the computer. And that was the only thought I had. If I can use this to, to spend time, can I spend that same time and make money? And I had that thought. Um, 
a couple of days later, I was, I was, you know, meandering around the bookstore because I, I love books. My mom was a librarian and all this stuff. And I'm going around Barnes and Noble and I see a book right up front and the title caught my attention. It was called, what would Google do based on the term? What would Jesus do? Yeah. So I went, huh? This looks interesting. And I recognized the author. It was a guy named Jeff Jarvis, who, you know, he had written, you know, I'd seen articles by Jeff Jarvis back in TV Guide way back in the day. And I knew he was a really smart guy. So I picked up the book and I read the insert and the whole thing. And I just grabbed the book and I took it home and I read it. And once I read the book, I knew exactly what I had to do. Jeff didn't give any recipe as to how to make money on the internet. What he gave was a prescription as to how the world was getting ready to work. Sure. Uh, at the time he was talking about stuff like Redfin and uh, the housing market and this and that and the other thing and how everything can be sold through the internet as long as you have a platform. And I understood that even though I still don't know how to turn on a computer, <laughs> I understood that you needed a platform. Um, so I've never, I've never concerned myself with how the computer works. Um, I know how to find porn. I know how to play brick breaker on the phone at the time. <laughs> so um, all I had to do was hire a guy that knew how the computer worked. So I did that. And uh, I told the guy, I said, make me a WordPress blog. Just make me a blog. Let me just do that. And he said, well, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to make money. And he started laughing. He goes, yeah, you and everyone else. So what are you talking about? He goes, well, you think you're just going to do a blog and then everyone's going to read the blog? I said, well, I'd rather believe that I'm going to somehow get rich than to play brick breaker. I could tell you that. And um, that's what I did. I started blogging a bit and uh, blogging turned into, you know, a book and a podcast and everything else. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the richest guy in the world, but I get to work from my spare bedroom now. So that's something, right? That's, yeah. I just want to say thanks for coming on, Vinny. I'm coming up on a, a hard out, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. And um, tell everybody where they can find you. I, I know, talk about Fitness Confidential. Let's get a website and uh, some other info. And, and uh, a sincere thank you. And I always enjoy talking to you again. It's, it's great. I appreciate it. Where can people find you, man? Well, there's a couple of places. Um, VinnyTorturich.com is, you know, kind of the end all and be all where you can find everything. I still have that WordPress blog. We have over 900 uh, uh, podcasts there. Um, you can also, uh, right there at the top, I have my intro to NSNG. So if you want to learn how to lose weight, it doesn't cost anything. It's free. It works. It like it works. You can go check that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm a work. follower. <laughs> yeah, I'm a follower. Uh, also, 
Yeah, it, it you know it is what it is. Um, also, I have uh, what's called the Vinny Torturich Athletes page. You can go there. Uh, I give free uh, advice there all the time. The podcast, everything is free around me. Uh, the book is called Fitness Confidential. You can get that on Amazon. You can get uh, the Audible. You can get the hard copy. You get the Kindle. Whatever you wish. You know, it's just all out there. I, I'm out there. I'm easy to find. I'll put that all in the uh, show notes because you've had an impact on my life just in a few meetings and, and your content. And that's part of the reason I wanted people to get to know you is through this Avenue. Cause you're just, you're a good dude. And I think what you're doing works and it, it makes a difference in my life and hopefully others too. So thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you for having me and um, uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. We'll grab lunch again next time I'm out in California. I'm looking forward to it. Burn the Boats is brought to you by The Warm Front, the most unique product in outdoor thermal apparel. Visit us online at thewarmfront.com. Pursuing your passion? We'd love to talk. Email us at podcast at thewarmfront.com. We'll see you next week.